is published after Smith supposedly translated it from ancient Egyptian. Uh, Smith was given authority to reactivate the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood as well as the Melchizedekian priesthood. We'll be talking about that a little bit later. Um, Smith's prophecies continually moved his cult further and further away from Orthodox Christianity. Uh, he practiced and later encouraged uh, polygamy. Uh, Smith destroyed a uh, local newspaper printing press that exposed the polygamy of the Mormon uh, cult. And so he was arrested and eventually murdered by an angry mob to storm the jail. And we can thank that angry mob for turning this uh, irresponsible, occultic, immoral character into this uh, martyr type right. figure. Yeah, and so it's, it's, you know, they talk about Joseph Smith, uh, his death, you know, sometimes they almost talk about him as glowing terms as uh, Christ's crucifixion. Um, uh, but by the way, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young after him that I succeeded him, they did have somewhat of a military. Uh, they, uh, and they used that military at times. Uh, there were uh, times when they actually slaughtered uh, people who opposed them and, and that type of thing, and that's, that's been documented. Um, Brigham Young was one of Smith's apostles, and after Smith's death, he became a prophet and the leader of the church. Uh, whoever, whoever is the prophet or the leader of the church is like he speaks for God. And so his teachings, when given to the whole church, would hold as much weight as the uh, Bible, okay, in, in their eyes. Uh, Brigham Young brought the Mormons from upstate New York to Utah, uh, but due to polygamy, many Mormons uh, were in prison. A later Mormon prophet named Wilfred Woodruff, um, United States government was pressuring, see, they wanted Utah to become a state, but the United States government was saying that Utah can't become a state unless uh, Mormons give up the practice of polygamy. So, Wilfred Woodruff was the prophet whom God supposedly told uh, to forbid polygamy, but it's actually, you know, basically the Mormon God backs down the United States government when, when necessary. It's obviously not the God of the Bible. Uh, 1978, uh, blacks were allowed in the Mormon priesthood despite the LDS teaching that black skin is, is a curse. So you have a very a uh, few very racist passages in Mormon scriptures. Now, now, now they watered those down, by the way, and tried to make them more symbolic and literal. Um, but uh, counter-cult experts have been able to produce, you know, earlier editions that show that this type of racist teaching is gone. By the way, you'll find this with a lot of cults that have their roots in America before the Civil War, that many times uh, if there was uh, 
uh, a quote unquote socially acceptable racism, it often found its way into the authoritative writings of, of cults at that time. And that's what happened with, uh, with Mormonism. And with the Bible, you had all kinds of racist and evil practices going on, but you never find the Bible encouraging those practices. And uh, which is in itself evidence that the Bible's God's word. Some statistics on uh, the uh, cult of Mormonism, their headquarters is in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, their leading school is Brigham Young University. Again, you're not going to find a Jehovah's Witness University because they're, they're not into education of Jehovah's Witnesses. They're into, into deceiving gullible people. They don't want you to do your thinking for yourself. The Mormons, they want intelligent people. They want scholarly people. And so they have the Brigham Young University. They're also famous for Mormon, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And, uh, and they have grown to over 9 million uh, Mormons worldwide. So they've just about almost doubled in size in less than a decade. Whereas uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have pretty much stayed, remained the same. Now they, they've both grown about the same, just the Jehovah's Witnesses. People are leaving out, leaving through the back door. Where the Mormons have closed that back door because, uh, you know, when you become a Mormon, you end up marrying a Mormon girl, you have Mormon children, you work for a Mormon, so you have a Mormon boss. All your friends are Mormons, your social life is Mormon. So it's a lot harder to leave the Mormon cult than it is the Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness leave all you have to do is get past the brainwashing and start thinking on your own and you're out of there. And uh, so, uh, but the Mormons have grown tremendous proportions. Okay, the sacred writings. Uh, of the Mormon cult, they say the Bible, and they, they, they'll use the King James Version of the Bible. They say the Bible, so long as it is translated correctly. Now, the problem there is that the Bible never seems to be translated correctly when it disagrees with other Mormon sacred scripture. Okay? So they've always got that out. You know, it's, it's kind of like you carry a Bible in your hand to give the semblance of respectability to your religious movement. But whenever you don't like a verse, you just say, well, it wasn't translated, probably wasn't translated correctly. The illustration that they give to it, they say, you line up a hundred people in the room. And one guy whispers a sentence into one another guy's ear. And he whispers it into another guy's ear. By the time you get to the hundredth person, you've got a totally perverted message. And so, the Bible has been translated so many times in the past 2,000 years that uh, we don't know if it's translated correctly. But with the Book of Mormon, God inspired and guided Joseph Smith to translate it perfectly from the Egyptian. So when the Bible and the Book of Mormon differ, we're going to side with the uh, Book of Mormon. Um, problem with that is, there's several problems with that. We're going to see problems with the Book of Mormon and other Mormon writings. Um, but beyond that, uh, that's not the way the Bible was translated. You know, they act like the Bible was translated from Hebrew and Greek uh, to Latin a few hundred years later, 
and then from Latin maybe it was translated to Spanish and then a few hundred years later it was translated to another language and then to another language uh, when in actuality instead of somebody whispering to somebody you might, you might have one guy whispering to two or three people behind them but then the fourth guy goes right back to the first guy again and the seventh guy goes right back to the first guy and then when you get to the hundredth guy he's got some confusion goes back. in other words we go back to the oldest manuscripts, we go back to the majority of manuscripts, we compare these manuscripts, and through textual criticism we try to find which manuscripts are most reliably uh, represent what the original said. And so uh, when we're talking about, we're not, we're not, you know, you don't, when, you, when you translate the Bible into another language, you don't take the King James Version of the Bible and translate it into some tribal language to get the Bible to it. You translate it from the Greek and the Hebrew, uh, the ancient manuscript. So, so this idea that it's just, you know, passed on from one to another is just not the case. We keep going, we keep finding older manuscripts, we compare them with the majority manuscripts, and, and we try to find, okay, which which manuscripts represent the, the original one. The, the New Testament, by the way, is by far the most accurate of all and reliable of all ancient uh, manuscripts. Uh, if you want to throw out the New Testament and say it's not historically reliable because we don't have the originals, you would basically have to throw out all of ancient literature, which means we wouldn't even... Yeah, if you question the existence of Jesus, of the historical person Jesus, you might as well question the existence of all the Caesars. You might as well question the existence of uh, Plato and Socrates because there's not as much evidence for that as there is uh, from the life of Jesus. Um, but they say the Bible, so long as it is translated correctly. And they also have uh, what is called the Book of Mormon. Okay? That's this book here. Uh, how many people here own a Book of Mormon? Okay, all you got to do, go find a Mormon bookstore, go to a Mormon bookstore. Don't even buy it there. Just uh, tell them you want to sign up to their mailing list for you then to mail them. And then they'll ask you, are you a Mormon? Are you a Latter-day Saint? You say, oh, no, I'm not. I'm just you know, interested in looking into different religions. So sign up on their mailing list. Well, two days later, two Mormon missionaries are going to show up at your doorstep. <laughs> and then talk with them and say, you know, you can talk with me about the Mormon faith, but just let me ask you questions. So he said, it's real easy to get a ministry to Mormons that way. But as they're giving it, by the way, it's probably going to cost a couple bucks in the Mormon bookstores are bound. But if you don't want to buy it, just have these guys visit your house and then ask them, well, could I have a book of Mormon? And then they'll give you one. And they might, if you let them visit enough times, they might even give you the doctors and come at a program price, but usually they try to keep that out of the hands of Christians and get the Book of Mormon to them, because, uh, and we'll talk about that reason why. But, but the Book of Mormon is usually, the Book of Mormon is usually used uh, to try to convert professing Christians, okay? Now I'll explain why in just a little bit, but supposedly it's the, the account of the Hebrews who left the Holy Land for America. I don't know if anybody needs to, wants to take a look at this while it's here. Uh, if you want to take a look at it, I'll just... 
leave it there, you can pass it around. Um, but uh, supposedly it, it, it contains the account of the Hebrews who left the Holy Land for America. It covers from 2200 BC, so um, you're looking right around the time of Abraham, 2200 BC to 421 AD. You have the Lamanites. They, they didn't go around laminating things. They were supposed to be the basic Lamanites, supposed to, supposedly became the American Indians and the Nephites. And uh, it covers a visit to America by Jesus. So, you know, here you get patriotic Americans <coughs> who love this country. And doesn't that sound great? Jesus visited America. It kind of makes you want to, you know, celebrate the 4th of July in the, in the middle of winter. But, uh, so it appeals to uh, patriotic Americans. Um, but the fact of the matter is, the Book of Mormon is historically inaccurate. It is an archaeological joke. Uh, where there was supposed, when the Bible says that there was a great civilization in a certain area, if they go to that area and do enough digging, they find lots and lots of evidence of that great civilization. With the Book of Mormon, it's the exact opposite. You go where there's supposed to be this great civilization, you dig and you dig and you dig, and you'd be lucky if you find a few arrowheads. That's about it. Um, so it's really an archaeological joke historically inaccurate. Most likely, the evidence seems to indicate this, the Book of Mormon is probably plagiarized from a retired pastor, uh, uh, retired pastor's unpublished novel. His name was Solomon Spaulding, okay? Solomon Spaulding. And, uh, this guy used to, and I, he, he was, he appeared to, probably was, a, he was at least a professing Christian. It seems that he was a, a true believer. But his doctrine wasn't, you know, real, real sound. You know, he was off out to lunch and a few of his doctrines, but for all practical purposes, it appears that he was a Christian. But he used to write and publish novels. And he believed the Bible was such great literature, you know, as the Word of God it was great literature, so that he would write novels that would sound like and look like the Bible in King James English. Okay? I see we, we have some of that stuff going on today. Sometimes guys will write novels about Joshua that go beyond what the Bible says about Joshua. They're not trying to deceive anybody. They're just saying, hey, I want to write a novel on a biblical character, but I want to bring some of my own ideas, but just keep in mind, this isn't the Bible, this isn't the Word of God. Solomon Spaulding wasn't trying to deceive anybody in that way. Okay, but apparently after he died, there was this unpublished novel that somehow fell into the hands of Joseph Smith. Now remember, he's a treasure hunter. Well, when he found this, he found a treasure, money-wise. Money uh, um, whatever the case, handwriting experts did confirm that the, the writing was uh, the handwriting of Solomon Spaulding. Okay? Now they recanted that very shortly thereafter. Okay? Keep in mind, 
Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, they did have um, they did have their own brute squad, basically. So throughout Mormon history, you will find people, eyewitnesses saying something happened and it was against Mormonism, and then all of a sudden they recant, and you never hear from them again. So, uh, uh, Dr. Phillips, yeah. this article on the show, I'm on the same page, and I'm not following with you. So what you're saying is that supposedly this uh, this uh, book that Feldman Spalding wrote before he died fell in the hands of Joseph Smith, and that's where they got the interpretation for the Book of Mormon. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, Joseph Smith did have some tablets that were written in ancient Egyptian, but when Egyptian experts translated them, it turned out to be a business transaction. It had nothing to do with religion at all. Um, so, uh, so yeah, he basically just told us and claimed that he translated it from Egyptian, and he claimed that he had, you know, the, and, and, and then a group of Mormons all testified that, yeah, right. we swear we did, we did see the the originals, you know, in the Egyptian, and then some of them recanted, and then some of them, yeah, yeah. So it's you know. An ugly, mysterious history, to say the least, but uh, very, very questionable there. But whatever the case, Thomas Fulling did publish several of these novels, these types of novels. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but he did not publish this one. Now, the Mormons will try to say, well, it wasn't from Thomas Fulling, because they'll take the Book of Mormon and compare it with some of his novels that he did publish. Mm -hmm. However, uh, that's not what Walter Martin was arguing. Walter Martin was arguing that it was one of his unpublished novels that Joseph Smith got his hands on after the death of Solomon's Spalding. And then, uh, so who, who, who uncovered this whole thing? Where did this whole concept that this is a solve? Uh, this could be number one was the similarity between the Book of Mormon and novels that he was writing. Okay. Number two was handwriting experts confirmed that the, the writing was identical for both. Um, and uh, um, I'll I probably just, just leave it at that. But, but uh, let me say this, the Book of Mormon teaches in real simplistic fashion the doctrine of the Trinity. It also uh, condemns and prohibits polygamy. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of reasons why a Mormon would want to put the Book of Mormon in the hands of a patriotic American professing Christian mm -hmm. uh, because you're not going to find that most of the doctrines, if not all of the doctrines that, that Christians find heretical, you don't find them really in the Book of Mormon. Although, you know, he'll make the same mistakes that, that some, you know, he talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, if that's Matthew 3.11, if you look at Matthew 3.12, John the Baptist explains what he means, that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He gathers the weed into the barn, but the chaff he takes outside and burns. Mm -hmm. So, what, what John the Baptist is saying is Jesus will baptize everybody 
with either the Holy Spirit if they get saved or with fire or judgment if they're not saved. Okay? So, uh, okay. Uh, One last question. I'm sorry. Sure. I don't know this stuff, but I, I think this is really important. Oh, by, by the way, this is not something you we share with a Mormon unless you built a relationship with him over a few years. Mormon missionaries do. They might, they might not leave. They didn't leave me, but they were very offended that I brought this up. Now, this, this Solomon's Father, is this an exact translation of his handwriting? So, in other words, where is this guy? This guy out in left field is obviously the Solomon guy. What is his background? Well, his background is a retired pastor. He appears to be, he's at least a professing Christian. I think he tends to, from my reading of the Book of Mormon, his theology seemed, he wasn't the greatest theologian in the world, but he seemed like he was a real believer who just wrote novels. So he didn't, you know, he didn't, wasn't trying, he wasn't lying and saying these things happened in America. He's just writing a novel. But, uh, but the doctrines that he taught uh, are much more compatible with Christianity uh, than Mormonism. So this is kind of the halfway house between Mormonism and, uh, you know, the plurality of God is not taught in the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. It is taught in the Doctrines and Covenants and Pro Great Price. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, uh, they're not going to want to give a professing Christian the, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, you know, some of their other writings. now, uh, the Doctrines and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price, you can get this at the Mormon bookstore, or if you have Mormon missionaries visit you, they might even give it to you uh, for nothing. But the two books come in one. You know, they, they, they put the two together. The Doctrines and Covenants contains most of Mormon doctrine. It talks about the priesthood functions and the plan of eternal progression. That's the Mormon doctrine that Mormon males can become God someday. Okay? And, yeah, Doctrine and Covenants. It talks about the plurality of gods and the principles of polygamy. Okay? So, uh, so I'll pass this around. Now, the Doctrine and Covenants usually comes with, usually printed together with another sacred Mormon writing, the Pearl of Great Price. That contains the Book of Moses, which is uh, supposedly an expanded book of Genesis. It talks about the gods created the heavens and the earth and that type of thing. Uh, It contains the Book of Abraham, Abraham's writings while in Egypt, which are very cultic. And uh, and then the official history, according to the Mormon Church, of the Mormon Church. Okay? So you have the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, but you also have the prophecies of the Mormon living prophets, okay? Mormon uh, living prophets, okay? The Mormon living prophets basically they are whoever the president is. He'll have 12 apostles with him, but the Mormon living prophet is the president of Mormonism and he is considered their living prophet. So it's kind of like the Catholic Church where he speaks. When he speaks on matters of faith, like with the Pope, yeah, when he speaks on matters of faith and behavior for the whole church, that is considered as much God's word for the Mormons 
as the Bible, so long as it's translated correctly, the Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, and Pearl Great Price. The problem with the, the prophecies of the, the, the living prophets, you can fill this in, well, it's about twice the size of the World Book Encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. It was out of print. Recently they put it back in print, I believe they sell it for $600, and it's probably, probably something that would be sold in a Christian bookstore for $1,800 to $3,000. So the Mormons, you know, because they got so much money coming in the top, they sell their books, they don't make much profit, if any, you know. But uh, it's called the Journal of Discourses, okay? Journal of Discourses. And this is what, again? This is all the prophecies of their living prophets throughout the years, uh, other than uh, there are other sacred writings, Doctrine and Covenants, Probate, Christ, Book of Mormon, and of course they supposedly consider the Bible God's Word so long as it's translated correctly. Okay, um, now the Journal of Discourses, you might be thinking, what a bummer. I was thinking of having a ministry of Mormons and now I can't do it because I really wanted to do a scholarly job and I can't afford to buy the Journal of Discourses nor do I have the time to read them from cover to cover. Don't worry, even the Mormons can't do that. But we have a Mormon gentleman named Daniel H. Ludlow who did us a tremendous service. He didn't realize that did it, but um, this guy, this Mormon named Daniel H. Ludlow has probably done more for my uh, ministry against, uh, my, my ministry to Mormons, he's probably helped me more than anybody other than the Walter Martin's writings. Um, what this is, uh, Latter-day Prophets Speak is the title. Latter-day Prophets speak. It's published by Book Bookcraft. Okay, that's the Mormon, one of the leading Mormon publishing houses, Bookcraft. And uh, Latter-day Prophets speak is the title. Ludlow did not write this. David Ludlow, a Mormon, he edited and arranged it. Okay, what he did for us, he went into all the Mormon sacred literature, including the Journal of Discourses. And he breaks the chapters down into different categories, like, you know, he deals with the priesthood and that type of thing. He breaks the chapters down. So, like, book one is the eternal plan of progression. And uh, chapter seven of book one is my favorite chapter of the book. It's called Godhood. Men shall become gods. Okay? So, again, Ludlow didn't write this, so everything, every quote that's in this book, okay, is directly from a Mormon living prophet, okay? And, uh, will, uh... Earth the living? No, no, no. Whoever the living prophet was when he was living, you know, at any given time. So, uh, um, so basically you get... You know, it's basically a large portion of this book is an abridged version of the Journal of Discourses. Yeah. 
so away. And by the way, they sell this nice hardbound book at the Mormon bookstore, Latter-day Prophets Speak, edited by Daniel H. Ludlow, published by Bookraft. Uh, they sell it for about 10 bucks. Oh, and again, it's a book that will cost you 35 bucks at a Christian bookstore. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not slamming a Christian bookstore. You start a business to make money. Um, but it would be nice if there was more ministry involved with Christian bookstores. But the other side of the coin is the Mormon church doesn't have to make a profit from the bookstores because they're making plenty of profit, billions of dollars of profit at the higher levels. So they can afford to have bookstores that just break even all over the country. Um, but whatever the case, we'll talk about this book a little bit later when we deal with feuding uh, Mormon doctrine. Um, another book that's real helpful for you, but it's not going to matter. If you quote from Latter-day Prophets speak and you say, well, this is what Brigham Young said, the Mormon missionary has to accept it. When you quote from this book, also published by Bookcraft, get it at the Mormon bookstore, Mormon Doctrine by Bruce McConkie. He was a high-ranking Mormon, but he never, he was never a living prophet. So you can quote from him and he can say, well, the Mormon missionary, you say, well, he's not a living prophet, so he, but he does cite the authoritative text where he gets it from, but if you don't have that available, uh, you know, there's an app for them. But it will help you to learn Mormon doctrine, uh, this book. And you can get this for about 10 bucks at the Mormon bookstore. And so it's a real helpful use. I'll be referring to both of these a little bit later. Um, Did you remember? What's that? Did you ever a case where like, if I go there and I have these missionaries come, you know, that's fine with me. Do they just keep on coming back like it is a long way? They have a six-part series. But if you keep asking questions and dialoguing with them like a good Christian should who knows his theology, um, that could extend over a 16-week period. And just because they went through all 16 weeks, I mean, they'll even go through the, the doctrine of eternal progression with you. But even if they go through that 16 weeks, it doesn't mean that the, the next set of Mormon missionaries aren't going to want to visit you either. You'll still get visits, but... Uh, uh, if things slow down for a few years and you haven't had a visit, then you might want to go to the Mormon bookstore again and just put your name on the list. And uh, I mean, I, I, when I bought the books from there, I, I signed a check that said Institute of Biblical Defense. And I told them I was not a Christian, I'm not a Mormon, that is, and uh, that I was a Christian and was looking into other religions and doing research on them. And they still, two days later, they sent me more missionaries, which is exactly what I wanted them to do. I didn't tell them to, I didn't ask them to, but I assumed they would. Well, how long do you think it would take for the training to learn about Mormons before you want to learn about your own? Uh, what's really good about Mormons is that as long as you're grounded in the truth, you can just invite them over. You don't have to tell them this. You can have them just, in fact, even if you told them, they would still do it. You can have them over there very polite just to receive training in the views of Mormonism. Um, so in, in other words, you can learn from them more about Mormonism than you learn from me. Now having said that, Mormon missionaries are trained to find common ground and uh, somebody is telling them lies.
necessary and would at least downplay the differences between Mormons and Christians, we'll wait until this guy's been a, a Mormon for 10 years before we tell him that we believe in the plurality of God. So yeah, you do need to know enough like what you're going to get from this course, I think. Otherwise, we, we have Christians, I was one of them before, and when I first became a Christian and read Walter Martin's book, I thought Martin, Martin got it all wrong. First Mormon I talked to agreed with everything I said. So I thought, well, I guess maybe Martin's wrong. Maybe he just misinterprets or mis misunderstands them. But then I read Martin's word again, and Martin said they redefine the terms that they use. When they say Jesus is Savior, they mean something totally different than what we mean when we say that Jesus is the Savior. And... Uh, that uh, uh, and then, and then also that Mormon missionaries will be dishonest if need be, and will withhold doctrines from me or straight out deny them. We'll talk about that when we deal with Mormon theology. Just look at the Mormon theology right now. Um, they deny the doctrine of the Trinity, and they teach that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three separate gods. We'll refute that. A little bit later, I just want to go over the theology right now. They're polytheists. They believe in the existence of many gods. They teach the doctrine of eternal progression, that Mormon males can become gods someday. They teach that Jesus is not the, is not God, the second person of the Trinity. They teach that he wasn't always God, but that he's the spirit brother of Lucifer who became a god and is still progressing in God. They also teach that he had several wives, which made it easier for Joseph Smith to justify his polygamy. They teach the Bible is not the final word of God. They add more sacred books. They teach, uh, as far as salvation, that Jesus died so that all men could be resurrected and then judged by their works. So Jesus' death on the cross gives us physical redemption, so we're physically raised from the dead. But our works are going to determine whether or not uh, we're going to be spiritually saved. Salvation is by faith in the Mormon Christ, uh, by Mormon baptism, good works, and obedience to Mormon ordinances. Mormons teach that we existed as spirit beings before our conception. They deny the virgin birth because they teach God the Father had a body. And, you know, he uh, impregnated Mary. Uh, we'll talk about the Mormon priesthood and temple services. Okay. Um, uh, they also baptize for the dead. They had relatives that died that uh, before they became Mormons. Uh, they will baptize for the dead, which gets them involved in their big. That's, that's their big emphasis on genealogies, trying to find the. Uh, ancestors that they didn't even know they had and then to be baptized in the temple rituals in their place. This leads a lot of them, by the way, into occultic areas. Uh, some will even go so far as trying to, to contact the dead, you know, trying to, to almost like going to seances and trying to contact spirits of dead relatives. Their temple rituals are very, very occultic in these areas, too, when they baptize for the dead. Um, and then the, the, the Mormon doctrine of polygamy is no longer practiced, but Brigham Young. Okay, everybody here knows Steve Young, the quarterback for 49ers? He is a direct descendant of Brigham Young. 
But then again, that's no big deal because Brigham Young had so many, had several wives. He had 63 children, I believe. Probably had about 250 to 300 grandchildren. By the time you get to great-grandchildren, you're talking about thousands. So, I mean, um, Steve Young is the director of Senator Brigham Young, but then again, who is it? Okay, so, uh, and by the way, you know, this is something you don't want to tell Mormons, but they should, how can you have such a weird cult and grow so quick? Well, when you're practicing polygamy, you know, Joseph Smith should have wrote a book, Church Growth from Polygamy. Because, I mean, all you've got to do is have five or six Looney Tune guys in your cult, but if each one of them has got five or six wives, and if each one of them has 20 to 30 children, I mean, it only takes 40 or 50 years, and you've got a whole lot of people. So uh, um, the early growth, you know, and, and once you reach a stage where you've got like half a million people, then no matter how weird your beliefs are, you've got some semblance of credibility in the minds of, of most people. It's like, well, sounds weird, but they got half a million people. Must be something to it, okay? So, uh, but whatever the case, uh, their early growth was almost solely due to uh, the practice of polygamy. Uh, Mormons teach that there are three heavens, the celestial kingdom, where only devout Mormons go and they attain to godhood, uh, terrestrial kingdom, where your average Mormons and good people go, and then the celestial kingdom, where evil people go. So even the evil people go to some type of heaven. But the Mormon hell is only populated by, it's going to be populated only by Satan, his demons, and apostatized Mormons. Hence, there's another reason not to leave the Mormon cult, because uh, if you leave the Mormon cult, you're uh, the only humans that are going to end up uh, in hell. Um, what I want to do now is spend a little bit of time uh, dealing with inaccuracies in Mormon scriptures, uh, and then we'll go back and refute the uh, Mormon teachings. Um, Gleason Archer, Jr., a great Old Testament scholar, he, uh, he authored a book titled A Survey of Old Testament Introduction. And in that book, he gives you archaeological and manuscript evidence for the reliability of the Old Testament. Tremendous book. It is a standard work in its field. Um, he spends over 500 pages showing that the Old Testament is historically reliable. But then, in four or five pages, he shows how unreliable uh, Mormon scriptures are, and then he spends about four or five pages showing how unreliable the Book of Quran, the Book of Quran, the, the Muslim holy book, is. But it's just amazing that he's got all this evidence to prove how reliable the Old Testament is. But then he shows you. But let's just take a look at these other supposed sacred books and see how many holes they've got. And he just points out, just destroys them. So I recommend getting this book just to read pages 509 and 512. Although the other 
Yeah, that probably required a textbook with this cool Cascade Bible College to take Old Testament introduction. Um, but it'd be worthwhile to read too with the evidence for the Old Testament. But whatever the case, uh, in the Book of Mormon, and, and this is all from Luis and Archer's work, in 1 Nephi chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, uh, the Book of Mormon states there that the Laman River emptied into the Red Sea. However, there has never been a river in Arabia that has emptied into the Red Sea. So it's, you know, uh, geographically speaking, that this is a joke. I mean, this is not, you know, and, and Solomon's falling when he wrote this could care less whether or not there really was a river that emptied into the Red Sea in that area because he was writing a novel. But the Mormons are claiming that this novel is God's holy scriptures, okay? So there's a problem. Secondly, Second uh, Nephi chapter 5 states that about 20 people left Jerusalem and came to the New World and in less than 30 years they multiplied so rapidly from, the, from tw just 20 people that they divided into two separate nations. And after arriving in America, they supposedly built a temple similar to Solomon's temple. However, Solomon's temple required 153,000, there should be an extra zero, extra zero there, 153,000 workers and 30,000 overseers, bosses, foremen, uh, to complete the job in seven and a half years. So, uh, you know, you'll see that in 1 Kings chapter 5, 6, and 9, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 2. Uh, so, I mean, this is just a fairy tale. You just, you know, Solomon Spaulding, when he wrote his novel, just didn't do the math. But Solomon Spaulding would, would openly admit he was writing a fairy tale novel. Uh, the Mormons don't have that option open to them. Uh, number three, Alma 710, also in the Book of Mormon, reports that Jesus was born in Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. But the Bible teaches very clearly, it's predicted in Micah 5, verse 2, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, it says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In uh, Book of Mormon, Helaman 14, verses 20 and 29, it states that at the crucifixion, darkness covered the land for three days, not three hours. Yet Matthew 27, verse 45, and Mark 15, verse 33 state very clearly that darkness covered the earth for three hours while Christ was on the cross, not three days. Uh, number five, Alma 46, verse 15, says that believers were called Christians in seven.